We've been working our way through a letter in the New Testament, uh, the letter to the church in Rome, uh, written by uh, a man named Paul. Paul, who was a terrorist and who was in opposition to Jesus and anybody who would claim and f- to his name and follow him. Uh, but Jesus, the resurrected Lord and King, appeared to Paul convicting him of his rebellion against Jesus and bringing him in mercy and gratitude into the kingdom. Uh, And God called and Jesus placed a special calling on Paul's life to take the good news of the message of the gospel to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews by birth. And it's in fact that reason that Paul is writing to this church in Rome because he has desires to go as far away as Spain to take the good news of the gospel. In order to do that, because he hasn't visited this church in Rome, he's writing to them, uh, telling them of the good, good news of the gospel and how the offer of salvation and of righteousness through faith, righteousness meaning we are in right standing with God, uh, not due to what we've done, but it's through faith in Jesus and what he has done. Uh, But as we've seen, as we're going through this gospel, the good news of the gospel keeps getting better and better and better. As Paul tells us that not only are our sins forgiven as we hope and trust in Jesus, uh, not only does that mean that as far as we are wrapped and clothed in Christ, when God looks upon us, he says, you are in right standing with me in the law. We've also heard that we are God's children, adopted and brought into his family. Uh, But this good news comes in the midst of great difficulty. As we've seen, Paul has told us that suffering and hardship and weakness and difficulty is continuing to be a part of the life of Christians, of those who follow Jesus. We experience suffering and struggle as we wrestle and battle against uh, sin in our hearts and in the world. We recognize the the struggle that we face of just living in a world where our bodies haven't been uh, renewed and restored yet as we're suffering physical uh, suffering and trial and difficulty. We recognize and see our weakness, um, recognizing the privilege that we have to call out to our God in prayer, recognizing that He hears us, that the Spirit is interceding and praying for us, and that the God that we pray to In the midst of this suffering, if it might cause us to question whether God will fulfill His purposes, we see that our Sovereign One will fulfill His purposes to redeem, to save, and to glorify His children. Um, Paul here, as we uh, get to the end of chapter 8, is summarizing what kind of conclusions should we come to in light of all of these great and good truths about how God relates to us, especially in the midst of the suffering. Because sometimes as we, a lot of times, as we face this ongoing reality that suffering and struggle and difficulty and weakness continues to go on and on and on in our lives, how do we apply the great truths and good goodness, the good news of the gospel that we've heard to our lives now in a world and in situations and circumstances where we are struggling. So let's look together. Uh, Romans chapter 8, we're looking at verses 31 through 39 this morning. If you're following along in one of the black Bibles there in your seats, this is on page 944. We're going to look at verses 31 through 39. So please follow along with me in your copy of God's Word. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? 
He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of God in Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your revelation to us through your creation, through the scriptures, through the prophets, the apostles, and in these last days through your Son. We pray this morning that as we hear your words to us this morning, that we would be convinced more and more and more of the love that our God has for us in Christ, that we would be sustained until he returns. It's in his name we pray. Amen. Notice in verse 31, the conclusion Paul tells us we should come to as his people, as those who have placed our faith and our hope and our trust in Jesus, the conclusion we could, should come to, he tells us in verse 31, what shall we say to these things then? Or in other words, what, what conclusion should we come to? Notice what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? God is saying, Paul is saying here, the conclusion we should come to is that God is for us. Do you, do you believe that? Is that the conclusion you come to? Is that where you rest and where you live? Confident of this truth, Paul says, of what is true for those who are in Jesus, that God is for you. It's important for us to understand and recognize this, to live out of this truth, to live out of these implications of the gospel, because there's so much in our lives that call this into question. Remember the context Paul has been telling us about, our ongoing struggle and battle with sin, the ongoing difficulties and suffering we face in our bodies and in this world. There's a lot for us to think about and to consider. Is God Really? For me? Notice, remember what we saw at the end of the, the last passage. This is that all things work together for good for those who love God and who are called according to His purpose. Do we really believe that suffering and trial and difficulty, that God is working in the midst of that for our good? It's... A lot of times in our minds and our thought, if you're for me, my life will be easy. 
If you're for me, I'll be comfortable. If you're for me, I will not suffer. Life will not be hard. It will not be difficult. But where do we find ourselves? Is your life easy? Are you without suffering? Do you experience any sort of opposition in your own heart, in your own mind, and relationships around you? Maybe now you have plenty going on for you to consider and question and wonder, is God really for me? What about this? The, what the doctor just told me this past week? I've been praying about this for months, for years. And they say there's no cure. They say, I will probably die because of this. Is God for me? I'm about to head to family holiday for Thanksgiving. I'm going to sit around the table of people who outwardly are going to say and communicate their love and that we're together as a family, but we know deep down how they've hurt me, how they've wounded me, how this is all a facade, and I'm going to just have to hold back the tears and bite my tongue the whole time because my whole family is just a wreck and it's a complete dysfunction. And I wonder, do any of them love me? Is any of this ever going to get fixed? God, you know I've been praying. You know I've been working. You know I've been trying to forgive them and speak kind words and respond with love, but all I get back is venom. Are you really for me? What about my marriage? I prayed for you to provide me with a husband or a wife that would love me and encourage me and point and direct me to you. And I was really sure that I was, this was the one that I was supposed to marry. But man, my life has been a mess ever since that happened. Are you really? Are you really for me? The interesting thing here, notice what Paul says. If God is for us, who can be against us? Now what Paul's saying here is that it's not that there's no one against us. But what Paul is saying is we need to compare the God that is for us to any who would oppose us. Interesting thing is, is that the, our chief opponent, the one with the most opposition against us as God's people, guess where he focuses his attack, his deceit. It's right here with this truth of causing you of tempting you, of continuing to put into your mind and your heart, is God really for you? Does He really have your best interest in mind? There's no way this is going to work out for good for you because if He loved you, you wouldn't be going through this. Is that not His character? Is that not exactly what He said to Adam and Eve? Why is He keeping this from you? It's, not, it's because he doesn't have your best interest in mind. It's because he knows you'll be like him in that moment. The laws, the commands that God gives you aren't for your good. They will undermine your freedom. Do you hear the lies? Do you hear the deceit? We must come to the realization and the conclusion that God is for us. Paul is communicating that. Of anybody who, who would have 
a cause to question whether God was for him or not, it would be Paul. Listen. Listen to Paul as he recounts his experience. Not before coming to follow Jesus, but after coming to follow Jesus. Before coming to follow Jesus, Paul didn't experience hardship or difficulty or opposition or persecution. But listen to how Paul's life changed when he came to know the living and true God. This is from 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes lest one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, and toil and hardship through many a sleepless night and hunger and thirst, often without food in cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there is the daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. Who is weak and I am not weak? Who is made to fall and I am not indignant? It didn't get better for Paul when he came to follow Jesus in the experience in this world. Yet here is one who says, I know that God is for not me, us. Because we might say, well, sure, sure, God's for Paul. I mean, this guy wrote half the New Testament. He followed Jesus. He did great things. He's proclaiming the good news of the gospel all around. But is this true for me? Is it true for me that God is for me? Where do we look? Let's look and see. Where does Paul direct us? It's not to our circumstances. Paul is going to show us, do not evaluate Whether God is for you based on your present circumstances, you must look somewhere else if you really want to know if God is for you. In your times of questioning, is God for me or not? When Satan seeks to tell you there is no way that God is for you, where do you look? Notice where Paul points us. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Do you wonder whether God's for you? Are you struggling with that question right now? Don't look presently. Turn around and look backwards. Look back to the cross. God is for you. How do we know? God is for us because He sent His only Son. He did not withhold Him from us. He gave Him up. He gave Him over to suffer in our place, to deliver and save and redeem us. This is the the purpose for God sending His Son into the world, is to redeem and save and deliver His people. 
Jesus entered into our hardship. He entered into our suffering. He entered into our weakness. He entered into our pain. Do I question and wonder whether God loves me? Because right now, my suffering is overwhelming. Where do I look? I look to the cross. Because while we are sinners, Christ died for us. God's love is demonstrated for us that He would give us His Son. This is important. How could Paul rest in this? How could Paul be assured of this? It's because he knew the truth and the reality that Jesus of Nazareth was God in the flesh. That Jesus lived perfectly. That Jesus died. And that Jesus really did rise from the dead. You see, the the historical truth of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is necessary for this to be true. It's completely necessary because we would have no hope, no encouragement, no confidence that God was for us if what Paul, is his thought about Jesus' life, death, and resurrection was myth, was metaphor, was fable, would it? I mean, think about it this way. You're, You're struggling. You're suffering. You're going through the greatest hardship you can even imagine. And somebody comes to you in your hospital room or in the hospital room of a loved one and says to you, Don't fear. Cheer up. Dr. Seuss is for you. Dr. Seuss is for me. How do I know Dr. Seuss is for me? Well, he sent the cat in the hat, didn't he? He sent the cat in the hat. You can know that Dr. Seuss is for you. You're going to look at that person and be like, who cares? The cat in the hat is made up. He's a talking cat who wears a hat and a bow tie and nothing else. What what difference does it make in my life? I don't know or care if Dr. Seuss is for me. This myth, this fable, this made-up story makes zero difference. You see, that's the same thing here. If Jesus did not really rise from the dead... If he did not die on behalf of your sins and mine, then this makes no difference. You can't have no confidence. You do not know whether God is for you. But because Jesus really did, in space and time and history, rise from the dead, a dead man went into the tomb and a live man walked out. You can know that God is for you no matter what you're going through, because the worst bit of suffering and the worst thing that ever happened in the course of the world, our God worked and purposed and decreed and determined for the good and the salvation and the redemption of His people. We must not look at our present circumstances. When we begin to doubt and question whether God was for us, look, flee, run to the cross. But there's more. There's more there for us, Paul tells us. It's not just the confidence and the assurance that God is for us. What about... Here, we've talked about Satan questioning the character of God, whether he's really for us. But sometimes what we begin to experience is opposition and questions about about us, about our status, about our worthiness. 
the security of our status before our God. Notice what Paul, where he goes. He who didn't spare his own son, but gave himself up for us, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall bring a charge, Paul says? An accusation. As we have thought about and considered this, Paul is using a lot of courtroom and legal language and terminology of us standing in a courtroom before God and hearing a declaration from Him. And what was that declaration? God pronounces us forgiven. All of your debt canceled. God pronounces us as righteous, justified. Those who in our relationship and our standing before God and according to His law, we stand before Him as those who have fulfilled the law in its entirety. Because of what we've done? No. Only because what if Jesus has done for us? But there are going to be those who call that into question. Particularly, notice over and over, Paul is using, he's saying, who? Who will separate us? Who will condemn? Who will bring a charge? Again, we think about who is the one who is bringing accusations and charges against God's people? It's the evil one. Who continues to spew out Maybe in your mind and in your thought, you know how sinful you are. I can't believe. Can you believe you did that again? You're, there's no way. Sure, the scriptures might say and God might say that you're, you're righteous. He might call you one of his holy ones. He might say that you are one of the godly, but you know that's not true. You know that the core of your identity is one who you continue to always rebel and reject God. You should have no standing before Him. You don't deserve... How dare you think that you could call yourself a child of God? You just need to put that out of your mind and out of your, your mouth until you can get your life straight. You hear these accusations. Or the thought and the question... Maybe I will be condemned. Maybe, maybe I will suffer eternally separated from God. There's no way He will forgive me in light of all that I've done. Even after I've come to know Jesus, I continue to struggle and wrestle with sin and the accusations come up. But notice where Paul points us. Who's going to bring a charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who's the one who declared us righteous in His courtroom? God did. Who is the one who has said, you will not be condemned? God did. How did he do that? Well, remember where Paul just told us. He didn't withhold his only son from us. Notice where it's rooted and it's grounded. If we were standing before God based on our own works, our own merit, our own thoughts, our own righteousness, we should be afraid of any charge that comes before our God. Any hint or reminder of condemnation, we should be quaking in our boots, but we don't stand there before Him in our own strength, in our own merit, in our own righteousness. Notice what Paul tells us. 
Who's going to bring any charge against God's elect? It's God who justifies. Who is the condemned then? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Jesus died for you. Jesus died to deliver and save His people. And when we stand before our God, we stand before our God as those who are in Jesus. Do you remember that? As we've talked about that language, we are those who are found in Him. Remember the illustration that I gave before is that the righteousness of Jesus, this is not the most righteous bathrobe, but you get the picture. We're clothed, clothed in the righteousness of Christ. If we're standing before God on our own, what do we deserve? Condemnation, charges, declaration of guilty, but clothed in the righteousness of Christ. Any accusation that Satan brings up is cast aside. This is vividly pictured in uh, Zechariah, actually in a courtroom where the evil one is bringing accusations against Joshua, the high priest. And listen, listen to what, what happens here. This is in Zechariah chapter 3. Then he showed me Joshua, the high priest, standing before the angel of Yahweh and Satan standing at his right hand to accuse him. And Yahweh said to Satan, Yahweh rebuke you, O Satan. Yahweh who chose Jerusalem rebuke you. Is not this a brand plucked from the fire? Meaning this was to be destroyed, but I've taken it out. Now Joshua was standing before the angel clothed with filthy garments. And the angel said to those who were standing before him, remove the filthy garments from him. And he said to him, behold, I have taken away your iniquity from you. And I will clothe you with pure vestments. And I said, let them put a clean turban on his head. So they put a clean turban on his head and clothed him with garments. And the angel of Yahweh was standing by. Satan makes these accusations. And what does he continue to hear? Rebuke, rebuke, rebuke. Be silent, Satan. These charges are not valid. The declaration has been made. The judgment has been delivered. The verdict is in by the judge of all things. And I have declared this one righteous. Notice what Paul, the way that he describes it for us. Jesus is the one who died, taking the condemnation we deserved. He rose from the dead, confirming to us the validity and the acceptance of what he did for us on the cross. He's at the right hand of God, ascended, ruling, reigning, and who is indeed interceding for us. Do you realize that? What? Do you remember when Jesus rose from the dead physically and they looked at his glorified and his resurrected body? Remember what evidence he gave to Thomas who was questioning and wondering whether he rose from the dead or not? He, he said, touch the holes in my hand and the holes in my side. Do you... Think about that. The resurrected and glorified Jesus still bears in his resurrected and glorified body the evidence of his sacrifice on the cross. And it is in that body that Jesus is at the right hand of the Father. It is in that body that Jesus is in the throne room of God. And any accusation that Satan brings forth, this is all he has to do. It's paid for. Nothing will stick 
when you're clothed in the righteousness of Jesus. When I was little, cereal boxes used to come with toys inside. You didn't have to cut out a UPC symbol and mail it in. It was already in the box. So what would you do? The first thing you do, open it up, open up the cereal, dig down into the bottom to get your toy out. One of my favorite ones was these octopi. This octopus. And it was like a sticky kind of octopus. You could throw it on the wall. And as one leg would come undone, it would roll down the wall a little bit and stick on the wall again. And then the other ones would start coming undone and it would stick on the wall again. And it would go down, 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 down. And then it would hit the carpet. The carpet. In my house, we grew up, we had green shag carpet for most of my elementary school years. And man, would green shag carpet stick to one of those octopuses. And eventually, the octopus would be completely covered in green shag carpet. And because it was covered and clothed in this green shag carpet, it wouldn't stick to anything. You had to just get rid of it. In an opposite way, do you recognize and realize that you are completely clothed in the green shag carpet of Jesus' righteousness? And any accusation and condemnation that Satan would throw at you will not and will never stick because Jesus Christ died for you. Jesus Christ rose for you. Jesus Christ sits and rules and reigns at the right hand of God for you. And Jesus Christ ever lives to intercede and to plead His righteousness and His finished work before God and before any accusation that comes. What good news this is. And remember, this isn't because of anything about you or anything about me. It's because we are found in Jesus. So notice what Paul has said. That we can know that God is for us. We we can know that there is no charge and no condemnation that will ever come to us as God's people. And lastly, what Paul brings up and he points us to is that we can never be separated from the love of God. You notice how much he brings that up here at the end? Look in verse 35. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. For I am sure that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Will anything, will anything separate you from God's love for you? Paul says, no. Why is that? Is it because you're so lovable? Is it because you have good puppy eyes that you can look up at God and convince Him to love and give His favor to you? No. What does Paul tell us in verse 39? We'll be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus. God loves us in Christ. And because we are clothed in Christ... 
When God looks at us, do you remember we saw this in John before? And Jesus praying for his people. Back over in John 17. Listen to what Jesus says about the love that we have in him. This is in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying this in verse 23. I and them and you and me that they may become perfectly one so that the world may know that you sent me and love them even as you loved me. How much does God love you? As much as he loves Jesus. The same extent, the same quality, the same quantity. That is how much you are loved. Why? Because you're in Christ. He represents you. Therefore, we can have great, unassured, or completely assured, undoubting confidence that our God loves us. Nothing that comes up will ever separate us. We never need to be concerned of any natural disaster any physical difficulty or suffering that we're experiencing, any hardship, any opposition, any persecution from anybody physically living or anything from the spiritual realm. None of that. No one, no thing will be able to separate us from the love of God that is ours in Christ Jesus, Paul tells us. In August of this year, a man named Rich Moore was uh, going to hike to the top of uh, Blackhead Peak in Colorado. He's in his 70s, but he'd done this hike many times. And so when he went out by himself with just him and his dog, Finney, nobody questioned what he was doing or what was going on. Uh, but uh, after a day, he was nowhere to be seen. Nobody heard from him. Uh, So they sent out a search party to begin to look for him. Couldn't find him, couldn't find him, couldn't find him. No sign of him, no sign of Finney, nothing. Days went by, weeks went by, months went by. No sign of Rich more at all. Until 10 weeks later, somebody was hiking. Two and a half miles from the peak, on the other side of the mountain from where he parked his car, they found his body and he was dead. He'd been dead that long. But guess who was there with him the whole time? Finney. Finney is Jack Russell Terrier. Finney, who had lost over half of his body weight. Finney never abandoned. Rich Moore, his beloved owner, the one that he loved, the one that he cared for. Even in death, Rich could not be separated from Finney, his dog. Now, you're like, well, that's a dog. You're exactly right. It's just a dog. But if a dog can do that, if a dog would stick by his owner even in death, what about the great and sovereign God who did not withhold his own son from you? How confident can you be that he is better than a Jack Russell Terrier in his devotion and his commitment to you? You can be absolutely sure. Because you, if you've looked to hope, and if you've looked to Jesus in faith, if you've placed your hope and your trust in Him, you now stand before God, not based on yourself and what you've done, but totally in the grace and mercy of your God. Therefore, because you are only 
and will always be found in Jesus, can you be sure that no matter what happens, no matter the height, no matter the depth, no matter what powers, no matter what things present or things to come, otherwise, Paul is saying, there's nothing that you're experiencing now or you ever will experience that'll separate you. In fact, he says, there's no created thing that'll separate you. There's only three things that weren't, well, three things is the wrong thing. Three persons that weren't created. Father, Son, and Spirit. The eternal God. The full resources of the triune God is there to secure your relationship with Him. Therefore, fear not. God is for you. There will be no charge, no condemnation for you, God's people. Because you're found in Jesus and He loves you. That means that the greatest question that should be before any of us is how do we get into Jesus? Call out to Him in faith. Turn from your self-sufficiency. Turn from your trusting in yourself and look to the one who will never abandon, who will never forsake you, who will love you forever and ever and ever. Let's pray. God, we thank you for the good news and the hope of the gospel. We thank you for the redemption that is ours in Jesus. We thank you that we can know for sure that you are for us because of your sending your son to suffer, to die, to rise on our behalf. We thank you that as we live out our life in this difficult and hard world, we can be sure that you are for us and that you love us. May that give us great hope, may it give us great confidence, but may it multiply and magnify the love that we have for you. In Christ's name we pray, amen.